You're listening to Resident Advisors Exchange. I'm Martha. Thank you for joining us. We have a special guest host, a resident, if you like, on the exchange for these next two weeks. Kadala Burroughs is a transdisciplinary artist, musician and creative technologist, is part of the Currents FM family, a platform connecting artists directly to their fans. Kadala was the primary steward of A Moment In Between, which you'll hear more about on next week's episode, where Kadala will be exploring the term Afrofuturism. As we look forward to Kadala's documentary, I thought we could take a listen to a conversation with the DJ, producer and songwriter Susie Analog. There weren't a lot of like fan run labels that were around me that I could just like turn and say, oh, let me go ask. So Never Normal was me really committing to that journey. Since then, we've been able to release really innovative recordings from artists across the Afro diaspora. Um, and I always call them the originators um, because they are like the original artists in their cities, in their communities um, that people look to because they know that they're going to hop on like the cutting edge show. They're going to hop on the rave. They're going to be the ones that are going to come out every time and give their all every time. Susie is the founder of Never Normal Records, an analog format label home to considerately curated compilations and a family of very exciting artists. This interview is not just a deep dive into Susie's career in music. We hear about her roots, her opinions, and the way she contributes to communities she cares about behind the scenes. Susie will be popping up in next week's episode two. I am really looking forward to sharing that with you. For now, I hope that you have a wonderful listen to Susie Analog on RA's Exchange. My name is Susie Analog. I'm a producer, songwriter, and creator of Never Normal Records, and I'm based in Miami, USA. Nice. Could you describe uh, your artistic practice and how that's like informed the creation of Never Normal? Yeah, I started out my journey as a songwriter and a producer when I was like in my teens. And um, through the power of like online community and forums, I was able to actually find in real life community um, in the city I was living in, especially at that time was Philadelphia. And I also had some roots in New York City. So um, during that time of being a student, I was a part of a lot of different um, events and performances and just community gatherings, also the community radio. And during that time, I was producing my own music and starting to share it little by little with the people that I was meeting in the community. And it's just helped to this point to um, create this organic bridge of how I've been able to share my music and my art and um, develop projects and be um, in contact with different resources over the last decade now. Um, So when I was uh, moving from Philly to the Bronx, I had a lot of time to think about the like first five to six years I had in music. And I just realized there wasn't a lot of space um, for Black artists with 
uh, like electronic backgrounds or avant-garde or like people who just weren't doing the mainstream, especially like young black artists um, at that time from my purview in the United States. But um, I always had a global vision and I was able to do some releases in that five to six year period abroad. I was able to tour independently abroad and um, I was playing in Europe and even um, meeting contacts in Tokyo. And I was just like, I'm ready to start something. Like, so, like I'm inspired. I feel like I've done a lot of field research and I'm ready to start something, at least a home for my own recordings and my own visual works and really my own archive and collection of how I feel like Black arts is like a patchwork quilt around the world. And um, so I started Never Normal. I launched it in the Bronx in 2014 with one of my own EPs and my own videos and did my first rollout um, with like a very, very small team, but um, we were able to kick it off and uh, we received uh Back magazine best tape of the year and like we started getting some accolades and started getting some looks and I was really excited because it was something I didn't know will work at the time again I didn't see a lot of room for black electronic artists but also didn't see a lot of room for black femme identified people advocating for like music um in the way where it's like we're saying this is what's next or this is what you should be listening to. There weren't a lot of like fem run labels that were around me that I could just like turn and say, oh, let me go ask. So Never Normal was me really committing to that journey. And um, since then we've been able to release really innovative recordings from artists across the Afro diaspora um, in I always call them the originators um, because they are like the original artists in their cities, in their communities um, that people look to because they know that they're going to hop on like the cutting edge, cutting edge show. They're going to hop on the rave. They're going to be the ones that are going to come out every time and, and give their all every time. Um, but specifically like in creative communities like Atlanta, Oakland, Chicago, um, Brooklyn, um, even here in Miami, we've been able to connect um, and there's other cities as well. Now we're working on projects with producers across the Afro diaspora and some, some producers on the continent as well. So I'm super excited. Um, the journey has been like a, a, like a journey that's just been building like over time. And, and I, I don't even think that we're like at the apex or anything. I just think that um, we are uncovering a lot of um, things that were covered by like industry attitudes and industry politics. Right, right. That, that's super cool to hear like that, that journey from, from the beginning to, to today. You know, I feel like I've gotten bits and pieces of it from our previous conversations and from different articles and stuff, but it, it's really cool uh, to hear, especially um, about, you know, for, for me and my personal research, as well as like part of why I started working with Currents is like, 
I'm very interested in decentralization <laughs> as like a means for liberating all people, you know? Uh, yeah. And it's really cool to hear how, you know, you are, are from Miami and then started this in the Bronx and then are working with artists in Tokyo and for, all over. You I'm know? actually from, I was born in Baltimore. Oh. I didn't, I didn't say that. Um, <laughs> I didn't mention that, but I was born in Baltimore. And uh, that's actually, that that's something that's kind of important to the story, but I, it's so like, it's just like learning how to read for me. Like I, <laughs> I never say, and then I learned how to read, right? So <laughs> I was born in Baltimore and um, that's like where I first heard like club music. Like as a kid, I, I heard club music and electronic music. I was hearing techno music um, and the percolator and stuff like played every weekend so that was my first introduction to electronic and that's why I actually had a real soft spot to it because those recordings um I was realizing like well if these people made this here like where are they how come they don't have a video on MTV how come like I was I was coming up with all of these um just connecting the dots as far as like what what is missing like why why isn't there representation for these other innovators that have been making these records that we all listen to um and and in my experience, I found out, you know, why and some of the systemic reasons why that's happening. And, and so I um, wanted to make Never Normal a home for that. But that's but my my um, exposure to, to black electronic music as a kid is really what kicked off my passion for wanting to um, really uplift the innovative artists here yeah nice nice i'm actually from the dmv myself oh like, cool yeah yeah moved around a lot grew up a little bit in fairfax county and mm -hmm. howard county and a little bit in dc as well so like i definitely feel you in terms of like it feels like a lot of times we don't give a, a the 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 world doesn't give a lot of love to baltimore when it comes to culture in general you know be it electronic music be it film be it like writers it's like we it's like we ignore Baltimore as this huge that it's Even like though Nina Simone has a whole song about it right <laughs> like, you know it's such it's such an iconic place um and it's such a place of just like so much historic blackness like and and it is it is you know underrated as far it's under resourced it's under resourced right. and and we know that um so it inspired me like being born somewhere like that where I'm like, well, there's great places that people don't know about. It, it inspires me to stand up and champion that more. Right, right. And I mean, I think it's still one of the only majority Black cities in the U.S. right now. And I feel like that plays a whole big part of why it's so under-resourced and why we don't give it the or why we don't see it getting the love that it needs to be getting, right? Right, right. Yeah, but I so I, I'm really interested in like what role or like how how you feel that that kind of like decentralized approach has impacted never normal in terms of the direction like do you feel like that's impacted like your guys's creative process or like was it an intentional thing to say oh i want to work with artists in all of these different places or did it just like naturally evolve that way yes it was intentional to do that because um what i was seeing um like i was living in philly and like like Philly has a dope community, but then I will go to LA and I'm like, but LA has a dope community. And then I go to New York and I'm like, but New York has a dope community. And it's just like, well, why make things 
about one city. I just didn't see the point. Um, I'm, especially when it comes to black artistry, like we're echoing all sorts of ancestral messages. So it's really limiting. It would be really limiting for me to want to focus on highlighting the art of just one city or just be like, you know, have a localized mindset. Plus knowing that our art has reached you know, all over the world and have, has been innovating global art for all time. Um, I, I really wanted to focus on that aspect of the conversation when it comes to Black arts and Black sonic art. And so it was like, I had the opportunity to be transient, to tour and to go to different cities. And when I would go, I would meet a new artist and I keep in touch with them. And then I'm like, well, what are they doing? Who's helping them? Is really what I would ask. Who is who is helping them? Like, who who is like being the loudspeaker when they're releasing something? Who's retweeting them? Like, who's helping? And I wasn't seeing enough people help outside of maybe their immediate um, circle. And so I thought that if I was able to bring these artists together and introduce them to one another, like however virtual or by a project by project basis, on a project by project basis, then uh, we can just start to create this solidarity that is like pan-African, that is like based on just um, like our politics of black futurism alone. Like we don't have to rely on it being based on like, okay, what can I do for you? What are the, what are the industry things that can happen? Like it's the, our, our knowing each other isn't really based on that is based on our skill set, our our talent, our projects, and the projects that we could bring forth together. And so Never Normal Sound System is a project-based collective. And um, we come together like on a project basis. It's not like every artist is in the same project. It's kind of like, uh, like how Spike Lee will have reoccurring characters that's really how I I, I directly take from I, I take information from things like that like how does this director cast like how these these black directors and like how how are we um creating community through our projects because you look at um works of art like the time period of like Spike Lee's like heyday do the right thing and um jungle fever and like all that and you're like oh it's reoccurring actors and things like that but that didn't just like make a product like that actually created and reinforced community too by having these people work together on on something new and it's the same people and you're comfortable with them and then you you build this like safeties on the safety net um amongst your you know like this this connected to your background and so i i really aimed to do that like things like that and and especially like black media throughout the 90s super informed me as to how to use the projects and um the new works to also cultivate community um with not just by having the group alone, but the projects themselves could create um, new bonds. So I've always been interested in doing that um, from just being a, a child, uh, a heavily mediated child. <laughs> 
Nice. I really love that term of heavily mediated. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to write that down for sure. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I love that, that framework of like thinking of the impact that that kind of decentralization has on, on the creative process. I think something that really inspired me about, mm, or something. Okay. My, my mom's also an artist and like she, this oh, during 2020, like did this really dope book art project where she was working with these other eight mature black women where like every month they would pass their book along to the next the next person and, and move forward and it was like really interesting to see how especially like during this covid time like how we can like apply these same these same principles that we're, we're, we're thinking about with decentralization in terms of like tech or politics but then port that into like the creative realm because it's like when we have these conversations with people who come from different different places different contexts but still share you know a certain bond you know it makes it possible for us to come up with crazy ideas that we wouldn't be able to to have by by, by ourselves right or you know we could have an idea but then just having it in conversation makes it something completely new yeah yeah yes exactly i also like really respect your work as as an activist and uh, would you describe yourself as an activist or like an artivist or <laughs> i mean I never like put activists in my bio, but I, I do, I always have uh, taken part in activism um, and in advocating, I would say I'm like an advocate um, of, of just human rights for sure. Um, and ever since I was like in high school, I was always like on the student government and things like that. Cause I'm like, who is getting to make the decisions for <laughs> for how we enjoy things? Like that's really that's where it goes for me. And, and but then you have to like as you get older, you realize like there's a spectrum of of from enjoyment to suffering. There's a spectrum, and and I I've become aware of that. And now I I I'm always asking questions about who's making the decisions for how we're enjoying things or how we are not enjoying things or how we're suffering or how who's responding to that. And um, a, a lot of my um, my moves just as an artist have been based on trying to illuminate or try to um, make information more accessible, um, make concepts, help, help bring concepts um, to the light that, that maybe, you know, it, everything doesn't have to be so like collegiate and formal. And so, um, yeah, I've been really, really into that, but I, I've never put activists in my bio, though activism is just something that's a part of my everyday. Yeah, yeah, it's that's, that's powerful. And I mean, it's really interesting that you, you say that because it's kind of like the work that I've seen from you, particularly inside of Common, like my mind immediately jumps to to activism, but it's kind of like that just shows how how much you believe in these things that it's like you wouldn't even necessarily consider yourself that. It's just like that's you're just doing you, and it helps empower people through the work that you're doing. Totally, thank you. Based off of your experience with uh, like traveling through throughout the diaspora and through through Africa. Um, I, I guess, uh, do you mind speaking a little bit to like the importance of that kind of interconnection to like black liberation as a, as a whole? Totally, totally. Yeah, I was, I was first um, really, I would say blessed if people believe in blessed. Like <laughs> I was uh, fortunate to go to uh, Uganda 
2015, I was a U.S. State Department cultural diplomat. And really what that means is um, I was a part of a U.S. diplomacy program that um, really just encourages peace and peacemaking um, through, through just sharing culture and skills. Um, and so with that program, I was a, I led a beat making workshop, a production workshop with youth in Kampala, Uganda. And I stayed there for about a month and we were able to put on a community um, performance in a theater with my group, the MC group, the, the beat make, the beat, um, the B-boys, the B-girls, and we're all able to come together. And it was really cool because we all had individual workshops, but we planned a performance all together. So that was even unifying in itself. Um, but while I was there, we were able to meet with traditional Ugandan um, bands like that play like traditional instruments from the beginnings <laughs> of music. And we were able to get um, like lectures on, on just like the cultural concepts behind music and um, some of the traditions of how music is used and some of just the pivotal moments of how music um, existed in East African culture particularly. And they went to the root of, you know, beginnings, beginnings of like Congolese um, traditions and how that like, also influenced like more East African traditions as well. So I felt, I, I didn't know I was gonna get all that. I didn't know I was gonna receive all that. I thought I was gonna go and like do a workshop and do something cool. But the confirmations, the cultural confirmations I received from that experience alone was enough for me to have so much more clarity about what I had just started a year prior with Never Normal because I started Never Normal 2014 and I went there in 2015. So um, I came back feeling like, okay, like, yes, like this is, this is my history. Like I love hip hop. I love electronic. Like I love these polyrhythms. I love all this, but like now I really know why. And now I know why I was always open to it. Um, and it's an ancestral connection that I, that I have. And I want to honor that by a uplifting black artists um, who who are like doing new things with sound, especially because they're carrying on a tradition that's like going from knowing what the traditional instruments are to seeing people use like Game Boys and things like some of the artists we have to to make some of those same rhythms. I'm like, this is the future. I can see the clear line now. Whereas before, I was like. I don't know, like who made that first? Who did what first? Um, so just having that historical reaffirmation was clarifying enough for me to, to carry forward with the work of Never Normal and to come back and start my zone series. Um, that's actually what I did in response to that experience. I, while I was in Uganda, I was just like, I've made music, I've made releases, I've had cool collaborations, but like if if I were to tell my students like, well, this is what I do, this is my sound, like this is what I think, um, I didn't have a piece that represented that, I felt like I didn't have a piece that spoke to how much I believed in Pan-African rhythms, like how, how much I believed in, in merging club with like the innovations of things like jungle and um, 
like house and all of and footwork and all of that all together. So I went back and that's what I focused on making. Um, so I released Zones Volume One that same year, that like same winter. I was there in the summer of 2015 and came back into Zones Volume One. And since then, um, we culminated like Zones Volume Four just before the pandemic. I was able to actually play Zones Volume Four and do a Zones World Tour back in Uganda. Several years later, four years later, I was able to go and play. And it's just an amazing experience. The Nile River was like right there. And like I could hear the beats reverbing off the river because it's like behind me. And sonically, I'm all panning it out because I have synesthesia. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like a beautiful sonic setup. And it, it's just so full circle for the intention that I put in to um, just cutting through and, 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 trying to blend the narrative uh, maybe not even blend the narrative but um trying to pinpoint places in the narrative where the intersections were and 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 try to bring them together it's like pulling things together like i know you don't know this and this but like that's what i'm always doing <laughs> i'm always just trying to pull the intersections together tighter and tighter because that's what is going to help us really attain peace as a concept, help us attain equity as a concept by pulling those intersections together. And especially when it comes to blackness, um, there's a lot of barriers, uh, systemic barriers that are against those intersections being as tight as it could be. So I try to use my work and the work of Never Normal to show that those barriers aren't as high and as big as people think, and that we could just really step right over them and continue to move forward. I'm over here, like, snapping along the whole time, like, oh, man. That sounds like such a powerful experience, you know, and I, I really love how you kind of started by, or, like, kind of wrapped it by talking about, like, you know, you started, uh, or, like, you, you got to spend some time in Uganda in your, during your your, your first experiences in Africa, but then going back and being able to play Zones 4 uh, there as well, like seeing that kind of full circle is really, really dope. Yeah, uh, and it was cultivated over time, honestly. Um, I had a student, and this is like a, a really cool little short story. I had a student that was in my bee making class. Um, and mind you, my bee making class was very telltale of the times because there was like no femme identifying students it was all male identifying students they were all teens to early 20s and i was there as a professor i was a teacher and and they were totally cool it, it was like they're the sweetest people and we were just working on beats i would show them videos and we would have our daily talks and and just put our heads together and i had one student who was so quiet and um i was out on one of our runs for our program and I had seen like this tag, like this graffiti tag, like three or four times it said Sparrow. And then I remembered that they had names of Beat Sparrow um, in our folder, one of the students did. So I went to them and this was a super quiet student. I'm like, what is that? Cause I'm thinking 
if you look at Uganda's flag, there's like a bird on it. And I'm like, maybe there's some like symbol, national symbol with sparrows. There's some like allegory that I don't know. So I go to the student and I'm like, what is up with the sparrows? Like, what, <laughs> like, what why? You named the beat sparrow. And then I saw a tag and it said sparrow because I love graffiti. I love hip hop culture. So I said, I noticed this tag and I didn't know notice a lot of tags. There's not a lot of street art at the time wasn't a lot of street art in Uganda. So I said, what is this? And he said, Sparrow, that's me. And he said, I tagged that. <laughs> and I'm like, what? Like you tagged that? And, um, and he's like, yeah, I'm in, into graffiti. And then he like, it's like I opened a floodgate. Like I would come the next day. Somebody had done like a whole graffiti, like bomb, like paper for me. Like it says Susie analog. Like they, <laughs> he's like, look, this is my book. Like, I, he keeps his book. He was, like, so into graffiti. He was just telling me all his dreams for, like, graffiti culture. And I was just like, wow. Like, I really, I have an older sister who's an artist. And she grew up in New York. And she grew up, like, amongst, like, she's friends with graffiti legends. I also did, like, an internship with Claw Money before, like, um, legendary female graffiti artist. Um and that was years and years ago, but I was like, I have like, also, I also love graffiti culture. Like, so he, he bonded with me and this same student I kept in touch with. And he was like, you have to come back, um, to, to do this, uh, festival, but I'm also making a festival and like, I need help because I want to do a, a graffiti festival. And I consulted with him, um, to develop his own festival, a street art festival. So it was Never Normal's uh, first uh, street art group sponsorship, <laughs> and we um, we helped you know we helped him like get supplies. We sent supplies over uh, for the first festival that they did. It was a few years. Um, I think the last I had the the twenty nineteen festival. I can't. I don't know if that was like the. Second, I think it might have been the second or third festival. Um, but the 2019 one when he was like, you have to come play my festival and you have to play this Nugget Nugget festival. And I didn't even really know about Nugget Nugget. I had seen like the lineup before just on the American side. Like I saw Juliana Huxtable had played. And I was like, okay. Because I, when I saw Juliana Huxtable had played in Uganda, I was just like, I don't know what's going on, but I just I just left there like a year ago, and now just in high school staying there. So, so it's something going on. But comes to find out, you know, it's the same core of people and the same core of artists. And um, yeah, I was able to go back in 2019 and play his festival and play um Nege Nege festival. So it was all because of the seed sown and just like my natural curiosity. And again, like how I said, a lot of things were being like confirmed to me. I was I was really following the signs. It's something about being on the continent that helps me to connect the dots. Like where I, 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 I don't question things as much. When I'm there, I just don't question as much. Like I don't get taken advantage of, but I also don't question like when I see patterns and things I said yes this is how it's supposed to be this this makes sense let me ask about this is this a thing should I know and and it it brings me um like abundant energy to to like really pay attention to the signs especially when I'm on the continent because I really do feel like the ancestors are like more like connecting with me more when I'm physically present there 
A hundred percent. A hundred percent. So I'm, I'm in the States right now, but my plan is to go back to Kenya, like, uh, and my partner and I are like integrated to start like a studio out there. And like so much wow. of that comes from, yeah, it comes from just like you get there and you immediately feel this. It's like an indescribable feeling of like, this is, you know, you, you feel connected to this, this, this source of your own internal spirit, but also just that feeling of like, your your humanity is never a question. You know, there is never a question yes. of if you are a, 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 a human being inherently deserving of respect. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that is a game changer for just like your mental space as a creative being able to work like. Yes. Yeah. And, and accessing that, being there and knowing, okay, I'm here and I'm a representative of what my community, right? So of course, naturally when I come back, I'm like, how can I bring more of my people to experience this? This is the natural inclination and, and it drives the momentum and it drives my motivation for Never Normal even more. Um, so now we're doing some projects that kind of bring it more together, which I'll share with you. But uh, yeah, like, yeah, it's, it's, it's exciting. It's, it's exciting to have that spark for yourself and then bring it to other people and just know it's not about one city. The city could have any name. I mean, the cultural traditions of cities are important and, and the reasons as to why certain art is made in certain cities specifically um, born out of the conditions and born out of the um, social standards and all that. Yeah, I weigh all of that in and I always respect and honor those aspects, but I do believe that we have a bigger and we as like, black people have a bigger connection than just like a locale right right i i i totally agree i think something that i really wanted to touch on from like a few points back in the conversation was you had mentioned like how impactful the experience of like when you did the uh cultural diplomat uh program uh how impactful that experience of like you know uh, and, and being exposed to traditional instruments from way back. And so like just working with musicians who were like really tapped into that tradition impacted you as, a, as an artist. Uh, and I was wondering if that influenced like the Black Liberation Mindset Room that you guys uh, curated for, you know, the very first comment and then brought back for, for a moment in between. Yes, so, um... I was so inspired by, you know, the events that had occurred specifically in the States um, once things were getting real, these conversations about um, how our communities are policed, how Black communities are resourced, um, how we are, how, how, how are we going to make it to the future? And I thought back to, you know, the work that I'm doing with Never Normal, and I said, okay, yeah, music-wise, yeah, like I'm sharing the music, but I think this conversation is even bigger than just the music as a medium alone. Like we need to talk about how we as black people have persevered with a certain liberatory mindset throughout time. And that is our magic. That is, you know, how we're going to make it into the future. But how do we make this apparent for ourselves? And how do we make it apparent even for others who are just like, oh, yeah, like cause all they're saying is like, 
one aspect of the conversation, right? They're like, oh, black, black struggle. Like, yeah, black people don't want to struggle anymore. You know, the, the naysayers or the, the apathetic groups of people who are just like, oh, yeah, black people struggle. But it's, it's not about our, it's not about focusing on our struggle. It's about focusing on the steps to liberate us so we can be <laughs> equitably as free as, as everyone else. And, and there are um, challenges to that that needs to be addressed. So how do we look back at the people who have made us feel free every time? How do we look back at these conversations where, where people were just having dialogue about like, well, you know, why is this this way? And how do we move past this? Or what, what can we change? How can we improve really? Um, and so the, the prompt, the question to just like be able to question things and be able to look at things and be able to like look at who has been questioning who's been challenging in just one linear presentation like here's 24 hours of just these people who have been challenging how society has been coming together um from you know Little Richard to Mary J. Blige to like polystyrene and to the inventors of jungle music and you know the inventors of techno. Everybody actually has been operating off of the same concept as each other. It's been liberation. They they everybody has been working against oppression with their art. Even if you think about someone like Mary J. Blige or Eve, like, you know, they're pushing, which we had documentaries from about those those artists as well. It's, I'm not here to talk about commercialism versus capitalism. We can discuss that, but I want to just simply say these people have moved forward in the spirit of liberation and, and finding joy within the Black experience. They brought that out for us time after time and we need to look to these people even if they may not consider themselves as activists they by default brought us something that reminded us of ourselves and it made us feel more free to be who we are and that is a like a bottom line a very important feature to have in this process of liberation um, we're not going to get we're not going to get to it without that element being there that point kind of really connects really well with what you were saying before about not necessarily consider yourself an activist. It's like, as Black people, we act as activists in our everyday lives just by advocating for, you know, being able to occupy the spaces that we, we occupy, you know? Yes. So we yes. don't need that label to, to still embody this Black liberation mindset. Yeah. It's true. And and it's it's also because we don't always have that option. To, we don't have the, the chance to opt in we're like born in, <laughs> like we're born within the context, even it doesn't matter if you are coming from an affluent background as a black person or, you know, other way around, you're born into the history that has preceded you. And um, it, it really challenges you, challenges you to make decisions about how you are going to exist and define yourselves within these contexts. And so oftentimes we have to, and we opt to choose um, to do so in a way that doesn't repeat the same cycles 
And I think that's just like a uniquely black thing. Like we're not, I don't want to do that. Like we, we really don't want to, sometimes we're forced to, but, but there's everything, like everything in front of us tells us let's change, let's, let's change things. Let's, let's improve things. Um, and so that I guess is like an activist mindset. Um, but when it's really tied up in your identity and you didn't really get a chance to opt in, it is is it's like becoming more about like your natural socialization, I think. Yeah. This part of the conversation. No, I love these kinds of talks because I I think these things, but I never get to say them unless someone asks me questions. So, right, right. Uh, yeah, and I mean, I think something that really struck me as powerful the first time that I got to see Black Liberation Mindset was that it was all, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but like all archival footage and like all like looking at the work of you know those who came before us. Uh, I was wondering if you could speak to like how you made that decision or like what the significance of the archival footage was. Yeah. yeah, I actually really grew up with a lot of public access television. I didn't have um, cable growing up. Um, I wrote my college entrance essay on that. <laughs> like, like I don't have cable and I know it's going on in a world like whatever. I, I don't know what I was sharing with them, but um, I guess I was saying I'm not like tied into just so much capitalism or something, uh, but I really grew up with a lot of that kind of programming and even being on that programming as a youth, I was like heavily into my performing arts community. So I would be like interviewed about like our choir or like for somebody's Sunday show or something. Um, or like we would be, our choir would be films or I would be doing some, um, some theater, some school theater, competition theater. And that stuff would always end up in like local news or public access TV. So I knew that, hey, people make it and it's out there. Um, and my mother also was a producer on um, shows like that before I was born. Um, one of her first shows she was a producer on was Oprah's first talk show. And so um, it's called um, Everybody's Talking or something like that. <laughs> I always want to say it's Look Who's Talking Now, but that's the movie. I think it's called Everybody's Talking. Um, and I started to actually look at that show and, uh, and I just started to think about how it was brought up. My mom was like very tapped into knowing who did what, what their stories were. Like she was a journalist. Like I grew up with a journalist mom. And, like a video journalist mom and um also remembering that as a kid like she had all these VHS cassettes and she was always filming stuff and I didn't get it then and now I know she was just like out there doing like field research all the time because she never knew when she would like find a story or someone who was in need and oftentimes because she worked on like a very like public access based talk show like Oprah's first show um her first show was very much so about like talking to people in the community about things that have actually happened to them um like I saw one episode that is on YouTube it was like a family and they had like six kids or something like all at once 
And it's just like a real story that you had to find. But my mom was the producer who would like be in touch and be on the calls with people and get the real story so they could produce the segment. Um, so I grew up with that. And I just I was just recently, especially during the pandemic, able to put it together to know that like I love that stuff. Like I love watching documentaries and I love um learning about the lives of people um and the decisions they've made. It, it helps um to inform my decisions and how I think about moving into the future. And I don't think that we can really move into the future without taking a good look at so much rich footage and so much rich um so many rich interviews and things that have come out already there for us and oftentimes in this digital age we say oh this hasn't been done or this is new and you will literally find a public access show and say like even if you see the ones of Basquiat's like being cool isn't new being like you know uh challenging gender norms isn't new it's not like you know he's like on public access like with like a crop top on and stuff and it's not new that was like the 80s and late 70s so um i truly believe in this type of archival footage um and have been i worked with a friend alex brown and she is also she's a editor a, a film editor but she's like very into you know politics um of ending oppression and when i'm with her when i hang out with her whenever we're physically together we just spend hours looking at this stuff like so so i came to her and said listen i want to put together a block of of some of the stuff we've been watching um and i wanted to last 24 hours and she's, oh oh yeah let's do it i got it because she's like really great with organizing visuals so um she helped me pull the videos and we set up an order and she was really enthusiastic about it and it was the first chance to create the black liberation mindset program which i hope to expand um as opportunities come and 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 hopefully be able to get into some physical um spaces to to have screenings and and talks and and panels and things like that um because I think oftentimes like we have these talks and especially in that year of like last year of the black Instagram box that all the brands were posting. <laughs> that was so tough. It's so hard to see a brand post. We really stand by our black community and then like not engage or like have very surface level conversations when you could literally be hiring like actual black cultural leaders to come in and like do a, a programming block and series for you just to, you know, inform you that this isn't new. Like, none of it is new. Um, and we actually just have to push forward and make the oppression feel old. Oppression needs to feel old. <laughs> and so, yeah, I, shout out to Alex because Alex really um, helped me pull it together. Uh, I would not have been able to source like all of those videos, but she also, like I said, we, every time I'm with her, we like sit and watch. I'll, she lives out in LA 
and I'll stay with her and we won't go anywhere. We'll like go get food and like come back and be like, have you seen this? Have you seen that? What about this? What about this? <laughs> We're just having all these talks about it. Um, and it's not like blockbuster movies. This is the stuff that we're watching. This is um, how we're engaging and, and building our discourse. Wow, that's that's a super powerful like origin. I, I I would have never guessed that that's where it was where it's coming 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 from. Uh, I I hadn't realized that it was kind of coming from this angle of like your engagement with public access television. But I feel like even that has like great implications for like public access to information and to engaging with these the, these ideas and like these are things that these are conversations that should be happening in the public space rather than like on you know private networks where you have to pay behind a paywall in order to like access these kinds of ideas yeah. exactly exactly i have a friend um dvd city it's a collective based in detroit and their slogan is free the information <laughs> i really feel that free the information like why i I'm, i love libraries and the dewey decimal system like ever since i learned about just coding systems for how I can find out about certain topics. I've always been into creating archives. That's one reason I made um, Never Normal archives and physical releases as well, because I wanted a system to have, um, I remember one time uh, going forward from my mom being a producer, she had a stint as a librarian assistant at the middle school I was attending. And that year, because I, you know, I'm a millennial, whatever, they were getting rid of all of the cassette tapes. And they used to have like all these audiobooks on cassettes. So she brought it home. Um, like she brought home like a, a trash bag of cassette tapes. And I was just learning about the Dewey Decimal System. So I said, oh my gosh, my new project is to categorize this. I also had just gotten a word processor. Um, like some, <laughs> I would just get things adults didn't want anymore. <laughs> or it was broken or something. So I'm like, I have a word processor. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to make a database. I'm 10, 11 years old. Like, this is my summer project. I'm going to make a database of all these tapes. This is the science section. This is the space section, the math section, like <laughs> health. And um, I sat and categorized all these cassette tapes. And I just remember feeling like so excited to do that because I felt like, once I have this information organized, I can answer my questions that I might have about anything. And I can have my own library and I can have my own um, access to just listening to information. And so for whatever reason, I felt like that at like 11, 10 and 11 years old. And so <laughs> I'm still very much so like that. And now I want to make archives of, of new new things because i think that that's really what we need we need these snapshots of what's on the ground what's happening right here like the songs that are coming out the the visuals that are coming out right now will inform people five years from now ten years from now but who is going to stand up and really capture those works you know i think it's a really important question to ask who is archiving, who is programming, who is capturing these moments in time, especially made by black artists. Um, it's it's important. We, we like went through the blog era, especially when it comes to music, which was very helpful. Why was it like such a cool time in music and culture? Because of who was 
blogging. Like who had these cool blogs before they all went, you know, and and got monopolized by larger networks. It was some cool people who really cared and were really passionate to to share the stories of new work. And I I I'm inspired by that. And I see the need for that even more now than ever when um, a lot of media is really monopolized right now. And um, it's actually really scary to me. Like, it's really scary. I won't bring up certain publications and I, as never normal and as myself as Suzanne Alag, I've been like written about in publications. But what I will say is the people's willingness on a mass level to see the public's willingness to be like, yeah, this person said this is the top thing, like um, with arts and culture and not understand media education, because that's a, another background I have, that I have a degree in communications and um, a large part of what I studied towards the end of my undergrad was media education. Um, and there's only a few <laughs> uh, professors in this country that really write about that. And um, the professor at that time, she has since gone on to another school because they let her open like a whole department about it um and we were taught about what media education is um through my program and i also went out and engaged with the youth of north philadelphia and west philadelphia and um we had workshops together about like seeing through the media where i would show them okay here's a photo of beyonce here's the original photo of beyonce this is retouched you know like it's manipulated. It's not bad for for what they're going for, but understand that it's something that these larger entities are going for, um, and that's how it affects how information reaches you. So, just in short, like I believe, like through seeing through all of that, um, it inspires me to create. Just as like I'm a black artist, and I want people to know about black art. I'm not doing it because um, of like a media partnership or to, to push sales of some other product that you might not know that I'm like leading you into or anything. It's just coming from the pure standpoint that I have the Black artist experience and here are other people that have the Black artist experience and I want to create an archive based on that, um, not on any other implications. Um, so again, it just brings me back to saying who is creating these archives, these collections, these programs, these festivals, these lineups, um, and how that changes people's perspective is, is really interesting. And there's nothing almost to counter, like if someone gets announced on a lineup or, or if a publication said, this is the top person changing this. And I'm looking, cause I just saw something like that recently and I, I saw like, Okay, it's a media company owned by a larger media, one of the biggest media companies, and they have a subversive angle. So they come on, they say, and it's no shade to the people they selected, but they come on, they say, these are the top people that's changing and shifting this. But you don't know it's an ad. It's actually an ad because those people are all booked for their next festival. <laughs> they made a commercial and this is a commercial and this is an ad were you thinking this is like an award like a cultural award? there's no um the lines are so blurred right now between like 
accolades and recognition and advertisement. And I think it's, it's just getting really, really weird. It, it really encourages me to just keep um, what I'm doing very based on simplicity, like Black liberation mindset, never normal. Like it, we tell you what it is and, and you go from there. <laughs> Nothing else. Um, because I think, um, yeah, for, for all time, black the the perceptions of black people have been manipulated by those who want to be in the controlling class, and um, it hasn't helped us. Yeah, I, oh man, I mean, I I'm loving this this conversation. This last point, for, in particular, feels like very uh, of my heart too. My dad's a professor and he was teaching communications for a really long time. So I, I feel like I'm definitely tuned into to what you're, you're talking about here. Thank you so much for your time. And I, this has been such a, a powerful, powerful conversation. And I can't wait to see what ends up coming from this. Yes, uh, same. Yeah, I, thank you for hitting me up. It was, it was really awesome to continue the concept. And thank you so much for your work that you put in. Oh, thank you so much. I, I really appreciate that. Thank you for listening to RA's Exchange with Susie Analog and Cadella Burrows. Cadella joins us next week on the podcast to share their documentary, A Moment in Between, exploring the term Afrofuturism and how it's used in relation to black creators. Until then, take care.